0: So if you're ready for a really detailed analysis of the New Testament, you have come to the right place. Welcome. Hi, welcome back. This will be for Hebrews chapter 5. The heading reads, Ministers must be called of God as was Aaron. Christ was a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is the author of eternal salvation. Verse 1, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Though they were not high priests as we know them today, rather they were presiding priests of the Aaronic order. They are similar to our presiding bishop. That means that high priests anciently Paul is not speaking of the office of high priest in the Melchizedek priesthood. There was one man who held the office of high priest as as the presiding authority of the Levitical priesthood. The Bible dictionary explains, Under the law of Moses, the presiding officer of the Aaronic priesthood was called the high priest. The office was hereditary and came through the firstborn among the family of Aaron, Aaron himself being the first high priest of the Aaronic order. The high priest's main duties, in addition to the duties of a regular priest, were to perform the service of the Day of Atonement, to inquire God's will by the Urim and Thummim in the breastplate of his office, and to offer sacrifices on Sabbaths, new moons, and yearly festivals. He also had to offer a meat offering twice daily for himself. Verse 2. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer sacrifice. Verse 4, And no man taketh this honor or priesthood unto himself, even Jesus had to be ordained. But he that is called of God, as was Aaron... We must receive proper authority to obtain the priesthood. Boyd K. Packer said, The priesthood cannot be conferred like a diploma. It cannot be handed to you as a message or sent to you in a letter. It comes only by proper ordination. An authorized... Holder of the priesthood has to be there. He must place his hands upon your head and ordain you. We believe that no man can administer salvation through the gospel to the souls of men in the name of Jesus Christ except he is authorized from God by revelation, or by being ordained by someone whom God hath sent by revelation. And I would ask, how was Aaron called but by revelation? David O. McKay said, This question of divine authority is one of the important factors which distinguishes the Church of Jesus Christ from the Protestant creeds of Christendom. In plain unmistakable terms, the Church declares that a man must be called of God by prophecy and by the laying on of hands, by those who are in authority to preach the gospel and administer in the ordinances thereof. In this declaration, the Church but reiterates the words of one who bore Christ's authority in the, in the meridian of time, and who, in writing upon this very question, said, And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Herein lies one secret of the strength of, the, of this great latter-day work. Its origin consists not in the whims, the desires, or the aspirations of men, but in the order and the will of Christ himself, the author of our eternal salvation." If one man could assume the right to speak in the name of the Lord, other men would have the same privilege. These many men, all presuming to say, Thus saith the Lord, yet not seeing eye to eye on important elements of God's kingdom, the inevitable result would be confusion, and sincere men and women would be driven from not attracted to Christ's church, yet eventually would be made to suffer for not having obeyed the principles of life and salvation. Yet the real cause of their failure to accept these eternal principles would be the fact that unauthorized men arrogated to themselves the right to officiate in things pertaining to God. Herein lies the explanation of the discordant condition existing among jarring creeds in the so-called Christian world today. Men who have no right so to do are officiating in the name of Christ. The result, of course, is confusion. Whatever else may be said of the prophet Joseph Smith, the strength of his position in regard to divine authority must be recognized. Robert E. Wells said, Any ordinances performed without that authority are as invalid as a forged signature on a loan. Many baptisms and confirmations and other ordinances are performed by well-meaning people, but if those people lack the proper authority, they have no promise that the ordinance will be validated in this or the next life. Many, we fear, will be disillusioned when when they arrive on the other side and find that the ordinances performed for them were invalid and that the authority... And the authority those who perform the ordinances thought they had and is not existent. Sincerity or faith alone is not enough. Verse 5, So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he, that's, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. But as pertaining to his mortal ministry, Christ our Lord received the Melchizedek Priesthood here on earth and was ordained to the office of a high priest therein, thus setting an example for others and being in all things the prototype of salvation, with reference to the mortal receipt of that holy order which is is his, and which he had afore used to create this and an infinite number of other worlds— and which he had, in fact, given to Melchizedek in the first instance, the prophet says, If a man gets the fullness of the priesthood of God, he has to get it in the same way that Jesus Christ obtained it, and that was by keeping all the commandments and obeying all the ordinances of the house of the Lord. There's a hint in there, notice. Okay, Bruce R. McConkie said that true ministers never call themselves. They do not and cannot endow themselves with divine authority. They must be called of God, even Christ, glorified not himself to be made an high priest. Even he was called and given power and sent forth by his Father. Those who are called of God thus become his servants, his agents, his ambassadors. They are sent forth to do what he wants done and to represent him. Their words are his words and their acts his acts. When they serve within the field and scope of their authorization, it is as though the Lord himself had said, or done whatever is involved. Verse 6, As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, What kind of a man was this Melchizedek? The Joseph Smith translation provides an additional 16 verses in Genesis 14. As a child, Melchizedek had such faith as to stop the mouths of lions and quench the violence of fire. He was ordained a high priest after the order of the son of God. He was a prophet like unto the Enoch and had power through his faith over the elements. Over the nations of the earth and the powers to stand, and the power to stand in the presence of God by the will of the Son of God, which was from before the foundation of the world, in addition to his biblical title King of Peace, in the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis fourteen, we learn Melchizedek was called by his people the Prince of Peace, another title identifying him as a type, foreshadowing the ministry of Jesus Christ. In uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, the footnote, does verse 8 refer to Melchizedek or Christ? The footnote states that verses 7 and 8 are parentheses alluding to Melchizedek and not to Christ. Yet many prophets and apostles have spoken of verse 8 in reference to the Savior. How can we resolve this conflict? Robert Matthews explained it as follows. The reference to Melchizedek was undoubtedly inserted because Melchizedek was a type of or a foreshadowing of Christ. Hence, in Hebrews 5, while referring specifically to Melchizedek, has equal though indirect application to Jesus Christ because Melchizedek typifies Jesus Christ. In many instances, the Joseph Smith translation focuses not on Paul's original intent as much as it protects us against Satan's distortion of the scriptures. This footnote provides a good example. Satan's henchmen might argue that if Christ learned obedience, then he must have been disobedient at some point. Those who would detract from Christ's perfect, sinless life could use this scripture to argue that he was not perfect in mortality. Joseph Smith's translation anticipates this satanic ploy and gives us scriptural ammunition to fight it. However, if you understand the verse as Paul intended, it may be correctly applied to Jesus Christ. In this context, what does it mean when Christ learned obedience by the things which he suffered? Does it mean he was ever disobedient? Of course not. It means that he grew grace for grace. It means that the physical suffering of Christ taught him what it meant to be obedient to the Father, not just in the spiritual sense, but in the physical sense. Prior to his mortal advent, He knew perfect obedience in the Spirit, but he had not yet experienced it in the flesh. His physical suffering was a learning experience for him, just as it can be for us. Correctly understood, Paul never intended to imply that Christ had ever been disobedient. Did Jesus ever commit sin? Because of Hebrews 5, which says that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered and was made perfect, some have suggested that he was not always sinless immortality. In, in response, Bruce R. McConkie has written, Christ always was perfect in that he obeyed the whole law of the Father at all times and was everlastingly the sinless one. But on the other hand, he was made perfect through the sufferings and experiences of mortality in the sense that he thereby died and was resurrected in glorious immortality. Verse 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Elder Maxwell said, Suffering is a hard way to learn, but perhaps the only way for us to learn certain things, for deep insights do not come to an outsider. They come from being inside certain experiences. Obedience permits us to hear things we would not otherwise be able to listen to because we would be so easily offended. In Proverbs, we read that a wise reprover is heard only by an obedient ear. Harold B. Lee said, So it is in our day, God grant that you and I may learn obedience to God's will, if necessary, by the things which we suffer. One of the things that characterizes us as saints, as King Benjamin told us, was to be submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him, even as a child doth submit to his father. Verse nine, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. President Kimball said, "Ridiculous is the idea that any of us can rise to the eternal heights without disciplining ourselves and being disciplined by the circumstances of life. The purity and perfection we seek is unattainable without this subjection of unworthy, ungodlike urges and the corresponding encouragement of their opposites. We certainly cannot expect the rules to be easier for us than for the Son of God, of whom it is recorded, though he were a son, yet learned." he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him unto all them that obey him these are the operative words for us and obedience always involves self-discipline so does repentance which is the way to annul the effects of a previous lack of obedience in one's life the dividends from both obedience and repentance amply amply repay the effort Verse 10, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For, when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which, he, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. In other words they who were the first ones to have the gospel and have now slipped back and so that now he's talking about that they need revelation. Verse 13, for every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. James E. Faust said There is a defense mechanism to discern between good and evil. It is called conscience. It is our spirit's natural response to the pain of sin, just like pain in our flesh is our body's natural response to a wound, even a a small sliver conscience strengthens through use. Paul told the Hebrews, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those who have not exercised their conscience have their conscience seared with a hot iron. A sensitive conscience is a sign of a healthy spirit. So that was by Elder Faust. Anyway, that's the end of the chapter, and we'll see you next time. Bye.